Well, good morning. Glad to see you all here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open to the book of Psalm, Psalm chapter 22 this morning. I'm excited to be able to start this series that we're going to be doing here today and over the course of the next two weeks. We as uh, Americans and in our cinemas, we like to do trilogies and sagas of like everything, right? And Disney's scoring a lot of bucks right now on buying Star Wars because they've taken this trilogy of three movies and expanded it, and now they've got like three trilogies, right? They got this whole saga of stories to speak ultimately of the greater story of, if anybody here knows anything about Star Wars, uh, it's really all about the Skywalkers, right? All nine of the movies that they're going to have are all about the Skywalkers. You have individual stories that all speak to a certain aspect, but it points to the greater story. And as one writer says, looking at Psalm chapter 22, 3, and 4, this is seen as as kind of a Christ the Shepherd trilogy, if you will. And so what we're going to be doing over the course of the next three weeks... Jesus Christ, the Shepherd Trilogy. This week, episode one, if you will, the Good Shepherd, Psalm chapter 22. Next week, you're going to have a treat. Pete Hill's going to be back with us next week. And uh, is going to, we got a woohoo? Do I get a woohoo or we just peek it? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm excited that Pete's going to come back. He's, uh, God's uh, directed him obviously last year to a church over in Grand Rapids. He's been going to seminary and the Lord's really been uh, equipping him and preparing him to continue doing the ministry in that environment. I'm excited. Pastor Mark, we've been talking about it. Really excited to have him back here and share with us how God or Jesus Christ is our great shepherd. And then Pastor Mark's going to conclude our trilogy here with the chief shepherd from chapter 24. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ as our good shepherd. And uh, here in the text this morning, we're going to see that, David's, uh, that David goes to prayer in times of suffering. Right? Now, there are a lot of things that drive us to uh, the throne in prayer. Right? We go to God in prayer because of, of our sufferings. We go to God in prayer uh, many times because there are things that we want and we desire, and we know that God's in control of all things. There are so many things in our lives and in your life right now, you can think for yourself, what in your life really drives you to the throne of God in prayer? And for David, we're going to look at three specific burdens that moved David to pray for God's help. When do you ask for God's help? Unfortunately for me and maybe many of us sitting here, I go to God for help usually after I've already tried myself, used all of the strength that I can muster up on my own. Is anybody else with me in that? You, you, we got a couple honest people here, right? right? We try it and give it a go on our own, and then when it doesn't work, then we, oh, yeah, 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 I need to go to God, right? Well, David is, is in a situation in his life right now where he's feeling a couple of different things that we're going to talk about. And these three things really drove him to the throne of God in prayer. And I would like for us to follow through uh, what David has to say here, starting in Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Three burdens that move David to prayer. Pray for God's help. Number one is that David is abandoned. You see this in his lament to the Lord. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. 
In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Here we have a picture of David who's not coming to God complaining. Okay, This isn't a complaining servant coming before the Lord, which I have experienced with. Maybe you have experienced where we come and we complain to God about our circumstances. This rather is the picture of a child who is feeling abandoned and alone and is looking for mommy, looking for, in this case, daddy. You can picture a young child who maybe lost it. We just had a bunch of fairs around here, right? We had the Tuscola County Fair, Bay City Fair. Was that just last week, maybe? All of these fairs. Picture like a four-year-old child lost in the middle of the fair, screaming for daddy. Lost, feeling abandoned by mom and dad and wants nothing more than to be reunited. That's the picture of David's heart right now. He was praying for help and he wondered why God was not answering him in that moment. Now, think about who God is and who David is. Let's put ourselves into the context here, right? David is the king over Israel. Israel is God's chosen nation, his covenant people. So if God, if you're going to answer anybody's prayers, shouldn't it be the leader of your chosen people here on earth? Why aren't you hearing me? God's a compassionate God, but, and he is concerned about his people, but David is feeling abandoned. Israel was God's covenant nation. David's enthroned as king, and yet is not feeling like he is being answered. I, I love what we're doing in the Gospel Project with Sunday School right now, because we start in Genesis and work our way through the Scripture in order. And we have spend a lot of time going through Exodus and the time of Moses, and seeing God's chosen people rescued out of uh, slavery and out of Egypt. We see how God hears the cries of his people and answers their cries. And then we see how God's people turn away from God, and God remains faithful to his people and answers their cries yet again. David's looking here, and he's saying, you answer the, the prayers of, of my fathers, of your people, and it's kind of one of those what about me right now kind of moments. But the thing that I also see when we're looking at this text uh, in verses 3 through 5 David is still kind of praying out this lament to God, but I see for us as readers right now, what can we draw from this? This is kind of David's hope also, because he recognizes God's faithfulness to his people, who David is, one of God's chosen people. Question for us this morning. We go through all sorts of, of things in our lives, and maybe there's been a moment in your life, maybe many moments in your life where you feel abandoned. Like you're alone. If I asked right now and everybody is honest, I think almost everyone in this room could probably raise your hand and say, I remember a time in my life where I felt completely alone, totally helpless and abandoned, right? So the question then is, where do you go? Where is your hope when you feel alone? Where is your hope? It should be in the Lord, right? Our hope should be found in God, in Jesus Christ, the finished work of the cross. So many wonderful songs that we sang leading up to right now, pointing to Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Where is your hope when you feel alone? It's a question, but it's a humbling and challenging question, too, because as I confess to you, I don't always go to God first. Oh, I've been there before. I've done that. I can do it again. I get stuck as an Israelite in the book of Joshua, having conquered through the power of God, uh, where do they go around seven times? Jericho, right? And then after Jericho, there's Ai. Oh, we've been there, done that. Let's go ahead and just 
take some of us and knock them out, right? Without even considering God, without even asking God, what do you want us to do? I get hung up, and I pray that as you get hung up too, because we're all fallible human beings, that we will refocus ourselves on the cross and on Jesus. And when we are feeling alone and abandoned by people or anything, we ask ourselves, where is our hope when we feel alone? And we find our hope in Jesus Christ. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The answer for the follower of Jesus Christ to this question, you've already said, is Jesus Christ himself. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I don't know where you find your hope when you're alone. It's probably not Jesus. And yes, that, that must feel like a very lonely state to be in. But I'm glad that you're here today because you're going to hear a, a little bit more as we continue on about Jesus Christ and where you can find a Savior in hope. David feels despised by the people around him. Verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. David likens himself to a worm. A worm. It's this little creature that's in the ground, has really no significance, and we don't really care anything about Unless, of course, you're a fisherman, and then you, you like worms because you use them then as bait. And truthfully, you really don't care about the worm very much. You want the big fish. So the illustration still applies. You don't care about the worm. David's at a spot right now where he's being despised by all those around him. He feels like this worthless creature, this frail and unwanted worm. Verse 7 says that he is being mocked. People are looking at him and wagging their heads at him. And they go so far as to mock him in the sense of saying, you trust in this Lord, this God? Well, let him deliver you. Let him rescue you from your problems. David reminded the Lord that from birth he had cared for him. So why are you abandoning me now? God, you've, you've cared for me all the way up into this point. David had learned to trust in the Lord, found his hope in God himself. From infancy he was not going to relent now. Many of our, our young people, our children that are here now, they're, they're being raised in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? To, to love God, to find their strength and hope in God alone. So that when they are old, they will not depart from it, right? David's at that point, he's like, you're the only place to find answer. You're the only place to find refuge. You're the only place to find hope. I don't feel you answering me right now, but I'm staying put because I know you're the one that has the answers. You notice here in verses 4 and 5, uses the word trust three times. And then again here, it's reiterated in verse 8. Only this time in verse 8, it's from those around David. Those around David recognize who David is trusting in. I would say that that's a, that's a measure of encouragement right there. David's living a life 
to honor and glorify God, and other people are recognizing that. If, if, some, if I were going to be accused of something by other people, and they recognized me as being somebody that trusted fully in Jesus Christ, I could live with that. How about you? Could you live with that? Please answer that question. Could you live with the fact that people recognize you as being a follower, trusting in Jesus Christ for all things? Thank you. Threw me for a loop on that one, being silent. Come on, y'all. Where do you find your hope when others despise you? That's the question for this one. Where do you find your hope when others despise you? David is resting fully in Jesus Christ and God for his hope as he's being despised. Last week, I had some students over to the house, and we had an outdoor movie, and we watched a movie called Spider-Man. Marvel seems to be taking over the world right now. I referenced Star Wars, and Disney owns that. They also own Marvel, and they're doing really good. But uh, at any rate, we watched this movie, Spider-Man, and I was recognizing, as I watch movies, this is one of the, I don't want to call it a curse, but it's just one of those things that I'm kind of plagued with as a pastor. When I watch movies, I try to find these spiritual connections in the movie. Right? And so as I'm watching this, I see uh, this Peter Parker, this teenage student at school being despised. But it didn't affect him. Why didn't it affect him? Because he knew his true identity. He knew who he was. He knew that he was Spider-Man, had those powers. He knew that he was a part of a greater picture here, that of the whole Marvel crew, or the Avengers so as he's being ridiculed, as he's being despised by other people, he, he's keeping a cool head. And as I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, man, shouldn't that be the picture of Jesus, the followers of Christ? You're being despised, ridiculed by the world, and rather than getting cranky or upset or using those powers against them, you keep cool and recognize that your identity comes from and is in only the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you. And because of that, we keep calm, we keep cool. This despising that's taking place of you for what you are or who you believe in doesn't affect you. You put on the whole armor of God. That includes the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, right? To, to deflect those fiery arrows as they're coming. Helmet of salvation to protect your mind. Remember whose you are. Find your hope in him when people despise you. Moving on to the third section here. David is condemned, verses 12 through 21. It says, Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravaging and, and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. David looked around him and all he saw were enemies. 
and so brutal, they were compared to animals. You see bulls. He, he likens these enemies to bulls around him. If you know anything about bulls, you probably don't want to be in a pen with one, right? Talks about bulls, about lions. I don't think we really need to go into lions, okay? Lions, I think, is a pretty obvious one. Peter says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may cuddle, right? That's what it says in, in Peter. No? Who he may devour, okay? This is a pretty vicious animal. There's a reason that Daniel goes into the lion's den. Bashan here was a very fertile area east of the Sea of Galilee and north from the Yarmuk River to Mount Hermon. The wild bulls here, would they would encircle their prey. I don't know if you've ever watched the, the animal planet or something like that and watched as these animals are stalking their prey. Okay, Bulls here, in this instance, they circle around their prey and then go at them. So envision yourself, if you will, standing in the middle of a bunch of bulls encircling you. You don't want to be there. Right? That's, that's where David is, is how he's feeling. That's the imagery he gives for us here. How about dogs? See, now that one's kind of goofy. Because the, the Sendex over here, they watch Kenzie on Mondays for us. And they have a dog. A dog named Ruby. Ruby is this itty-bitty little Yorkie. Right? It's a small little dog, and when it sneezes, it shoots itself back ten feet. It's so small, okay? So when I think about this passage here and equating his enemies to dogs, it's not that kind of dog. Okay, it's not a cute little thing that you just cuddle and put on your lap. The dogs that he's talking about here, these are ravaging, savage, wild dogs. They live near garbage dumps, and they travel around in packs looking for victims. These aren't dogs that come around your knees when you're sitting there on the couch and start sticking their nose up under your hand trying to get you to pet their nose. Then David here looks within and sees himself. The passage explains how his strength is fading away. He's become like a brittle piece of broken pottery. Then David looks up to the Lord and prays one more time for the strength that he needs. Verses 19 through 21. We see in verse 1 that he mentions that God was far from helping him. And he repeated that again in verse 11. God, you're, you're far off. But he asks here a third time for the Lord to come near and intervene on his behalf to save his life. Save me from the sword, it says. He says, my precious life from the power of the dogs. The precious life, it's his one and only life. This life that he has here and now on this earth, the one and only life. Once it's gone, it's gone. God, save me, protect me. Then he says that you've heard me. In verse 2, he wrote that God had not answered, but now he's almost shouting. Just think about the, the, the kid in the middle of the fair screaming for daddy. David is screaming with so much emotion, Dad, where are you? I need you. I am frightened. And almost with the same kind of, of, of emotion, but only on the positive side now. God has answered. In the second part of verse 21, he says, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Parents, you know that when you've been away from your child for a while and then you come back and pick them up from grandma's house or whatever and you kind of get down, I love this. It's one of my favorite things about being a daddy. I get down like this and Kenzie just comes running to me. Oh, that's the picture here, right? 
God has answered David. And he is excited. Where do you find hope when others condemn you? You've been despised for your faith. And people condemn you for your faith. In the midst of being condemned by other people, where do you find your hope? I pray it's still in the person of Jesus Christ. Timothy Keller wrote this. He said uh, in a talk, Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. The Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about David. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. And all throughout, this quote that he has it spans uh, the Old Testament and into the New Testament. He talks about Adam. He talks about Moses. He talks about all of these characters that we read about in church and in Sunday school. And he points out that God, Jesus Christ, is the true and better Adam, the true and better Moses, the true and better David. So I'm going to start this message all over again. Aren't you excited? We're going to go back to the beginning. And start connecting some dots. If you didn't notice the breadcrumbs, Pastor Mark and I were talking this week about how there's some pretty heavy breadcrumbs dropped throughout this passage pointing to Jesus. And I'm thinking, I don't know about breadcrumbs. They seem more like slices. Maybe he's dropping off loaves off the cart. I thought it was pretty obvious. And hopefully you caught them. If you didn't, I'm going to help you out right now. Psalm chapter 22, verse 1, we see that David is abandoned. And he cries out, what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now there's a loaf of bread, right? Who else says this? Points to Jesus Christ, right? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Jesus being abandoned by God. Jesus saying to his father, why have you forsaken me? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you know the answer. To save you from your sin. Secondly, we see in Psalm chapter 22, verses 7 and 8, where David is despised. All who see me, they mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. We see this in Matthew 27, 39 and 43. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires. Thirdly, David points to Jesus and that David is condemned. He says, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And then we see in Matthew 27, verse 35, Jesus is condemned. And when they had crucified him, piercing his hands and his feet, nailing him to a cross, he's being crucified goes on to say that they divided his garments among them by casting lots. This passage is foretelling, pointing forward to what is going to happen to the person of Jesus Christ. David went through some of these things himself, but Christ is the true and better David. He does it once for all. You and I are included in the all, folks. And lastly here, point four, what's the response? God has heard the cries. God has answered. And what is our response when God answers our prayers? What should our response be? Thank you. Absolutely. 
praise in time of victory. Praise will result from me, from Israel, and from all nations. As we look back at Psalm chapter 22 in our text, you see in verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers, David says, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. How do you respond to what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross? Do you praise his name? Do you give witness to what he has done for you? Secondly, from Israel, or for us, from the church, the congregation, verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your heart live forever. What do we do at church? What do we come here for? I just want to sit in air conditioning because I don't have it at home. Well, all right, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that you're hearing what God has to say from his word, and I pray that that's going to affect you in in some way greater than the air conditioning. But we come together as a corporate body of believers to give witness and praise God the Father. Amen? Amen? That's why we're here. You do this on your own at home, I trust, and then we come together as a congregation to give praise before God. And then all nations, verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. In my study Bible, I want to read a portion for you. This section on Psalm chapter 22, verses 22 through 31 in the ESV study Bible says this for us. The song closes here with confidence that when God answers the prayer, the singer will be vindicated and will again be able to join with God's people in worship. The song helps readers to see the outcome of this personal trial in its relation to the whole of God's people. The vindicated singer looks forward to telling forth God's praise among the assembled congregation. And thus all the offspring of Israel will take encouragement and join in giving thanks. Indeed, the praising company will extend to the whole world, all the families of all nations. That is, the singer's personal story of trouble and vindication is part of the larger story of God's redemptive work in the world. Your individual story, walk with God, is vitally important. But it's not the main thing, right? God's story is the main thing. Our life should be just like David's, pointing to Jesus Christ. When people see you, how you live, how you respond to things, do they see Jesus or do they see you? Who do they see? Two of my students from Cedar Springs got married last last night, and I had the privilege of doing their ceremony. And afterwards, we went to the reception, and I was sitting with another young man, and we got talking about some things, and, and he's a, a newlywed kind of guy, and he had come across a book that was talking about a lady who was married, and her husband was unfaithful. And the whole book is about how God brought about restoration in their marriage. Rather than getting a divorce, she just continued to go before the throne in prayer and stayed by his side, continued to to speak truth into his heart and into his life, and God was working on him, and their relationship was restored. That's a pretty significant picture for any one of us to have our marriage struggling or to have any other situation come uh, in your family that would cause you to want to get away from it, to get a divorce, to leave, to do whatever. But the picture of these people's story 
was a reflection of what Jesus Christ has done for us, what God has done for us through Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, what did Adam and Eve do? They sinned. And so begins that big chasm between us and God. What does God do? God could have just started over. God could have just started over, but he didn't. So began the process of restoration. We sinned before a righteous and holy God. But he loves us so incredibly much that he sent Jesus Christ to come to this earth to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death, the death that you and I deserve as sinners. Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, taking on our sin and having God the Father turn his back on his one and only Son. He died paying the penalty for our sin. And what happens next? He rose. Thank you. I didn't realize we were telling secrets in church today. He rose, conquering sin and death. What a hope we have now. Amen? You and I can live this life, sit in these pews, listen to God's word, preach to us, and have hope. And know that even as David was saying that this is the only life I have to live, you and I know and have hope that this is not the end. There is another life. Jesus came to give us life that is abundant. To bring us back to himself. He is the good shepherd. He is your good shepherd. Now the shepherd's job is not always an easy one, right? The shepherd has a staff for a reason, to help guide his sheep. And a good shepherd is going to guide his sheep. You folks, myself, we are God's flock. We're his sheep, and he is going to guide us. Now, sometimes that hurts, right? Sometimes we stray, and that's what that staff was for, is to give a nice loving whack. Oh, yep, you're here, and I need to pay attention. Just like I said, so often I rely on my own strength and I need to stop it. And God swats me says, nope, nope, nope. Get back in formation. God, Jesus Christ, is our good shepherd. May he be your good shepherd today. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to open your word and consider the words that David penned through your inspiration. That though David went through seasons of life where he felt abandoned, despised, or condemned God, that those are things that we all have experienced from time to time, but we have the hope of knowing that all of those instances pointed to the person of Jesus Christ who himself went through all of those once for all. That we no longer have to live this life feeling abandoned. We no longer have to live our life without hope We no longer have to be despised or condemned and allow those thoughts from other people to control us. But we have hope, lasting hope, in the person of Jesus Christ. God, may the recognition of that, may the realization of that cause us to follow the example of David here of praise to you. God, I pray for myself. I pray for these folks here that as we come to your throne 
crying at times in prayer and asking for things from you, asking for you to intercede for people. Help us not to stop there. Help us to have eyes that are open looking for your response. And when you answer, may we praise you. May we not forget to say thank you. But may we come again before your throne, humbly on our knees, and say, God, thank you, praise you, praise you. In your name we pray, amen.